For more information about the Creating Life project in collaboration with Myolijn Pineapples, visit futurebased.org. I'm talking to Professor Lee Nelson of Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you here tonight. Oh, it's delightful to be here. So you study microchimerism, which I find a fascinating topic. It's, it's a state in which cells are exchanged by a mother and child during pregnancy, and they you know, persist in both individuals for so many years. And yeah, I was wondering for starters, because I, I'm not sure if many people know about this, if you could just explain a little bit about what microchimerism is and you know why it's so important to know more about it. Sure. And I agree. I think it's it's fascinating and it's relatively recent knowledge. So the word itself, micro, of course, means small, and then it derives from chimerism, which in mythology was a beast that was kind of half lion or part lion, part goat, part serpent. But um, when you use it in science and medicine, it means acquiring cells or sometimes the techniques are detecting DNA, presumably from cells that originated in another individual. And um, really a bottom line, these aren't intrinsically bad or intrinsically good. It's the context and it's a lot of different variables that they can have effects in both directions on a person's health. But the the important part is they're there and and we probably really all are chimeras. Yeah, because that's when I read more about it, I had two pregnancies, two children, and I, I read that these cells persist in my body, but also that I probably have cells of my mother that I acquired during my own, you know, when, when she was pregnant with me. It's like everyone has these cells of another being inside of them. Isn't that beautiful? We we're just we're so connected on a biological level. I think we we tend to particularly maybe more so in Western cultures just think of ourselves almost like a cardboard cutout and more monolithically, you know, but I think we now believe, and there's good science showing that most people have a small number of cells that originated in someone else. And more popular currently is the microbiome, but uh, one of my colleagues has turned this microchiome. And that may be even more important because these cells, as you said, persist over decades, probably for a lifetime. Yeah, because you mentioned the microbiome, which is, you know, where microorganisms reside at different parts of our body, most notably, you know, in our guts, but also in our skin and our, our eyes. But uh, the microbiome and microchimerism is actually about human cells of people that we are related to, uh, or that birthed us that are inside of our bodies. But what do they do there? And where are they? Are they found anywhere in the body or in particular places? And do we know anything about what they're doing when they're there? (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful question. So I think as a scientist, I I try to stick with where we actually studied it and know it. And there's still places and things we don't know, particularly with humans. And although animal models and particularly studies in mice are very illuminating, clearly we are very different from mice. So I think it's important to have human knowledge too. So they've, it depends on the direction you're looking at. The most common is cells of fetal origin or cells of maternal origin. And the studies have been done, I'd say more in the direction of the cells of fetal origin, also largely because you can use male DNA as a technical way to ask that question. Uh, so it's not that having a daughter or a son 
is different. But you can but... detect it because if a mother who had been pregnant has Y chromosome cells or inside her, it's probably not from her own body, but it has to be from the baby she once carried inside of her. Yes. And I think in the beginning, we we thought more, again, a little more monolithically, we thought, okay, this is this is from a prior pregnancy with a male child. But I think as that aspect of the work evolved, it was pretty clear that even female fetuses or young girls can have male cells. So it's not 100% equatable. There, there are these other sources like having a twin. You have a male twin brother. And well, this is kind of a fun story. I had a, a fun dynamic friend who was uh, from Venezuela. And in the original studies that we did when the techniques weren't yet developed and all we had was that Y chromosome stuff, we had sent a sample of hers to a collaborator and got this result that you know she was positive for male DNA. And I knew she had only had daughters. And so I kind of bugged my colleague and said, you know, there's something wrong with your assay. And she said, well, does she have a twin? And I went, oh, she's got a twin brother. Yeah. And so in talking to her about that, she said, she said, this is so funny because my mother always told me that I got, you know, kind of this uh, rough and tough part and that he was the, he was the sweet one. <laughs> they exchanged parts of themselves in the womb. <laughs> right. That's a, so that was her explanation for it. She, she got a good laugh out of that. And you can have a vanished twin. Yeah. So the obstetricians tell us that there's a fair number of pregnancies that begin as twins and one vanishes and no one ever knew there was a twin there. And then you can also have male DNA that's probably from a prior miscarriage. Depends upon a lot of factors. You don't always engraft after a miscarriage by any means. Probably most don't, but some of them may. And then what about an older brother? Because your mother is carrying these cells from all of her prior pregnancies and the mother cells can sometimes, well, will usually get into the, the fetus who's in the womb. And if one of those cells from your older sibling is there, boom, got cells from your older sibling. So I suggest that you give your siblings credit for anything yeah. that's good, you know, and, and not blame something on them. <laughs> Yeah, so and I'm I'm an oldest child, so actually for me, um, different from them for my sister, and I think those kinds of things are fascinating to think about that you leave something of yourself in your mother's body, and in the next pregnancy that is taken uh, and exchanged with a new baby. And what I love about this, and you mentioned this before, is that we tend to think of ourselves in, in, you know, in the Western hemisphere, that we are individuals and we are separate. And this is me and that is you. And these are uh, insights into human biology and, you know, mammalian biology, actually, that it's not as yeah, clear cut or black and white as we tend to believe we are. And I'm curious what these cells do. Do they have good influences, bad influences or both? Do we even know is there a way of knowing how these cells act inside our bodies do they really become a part of us or are they just floating around <laughs> uh, well first yes they really become part of us so some uh, early work by Anne, Anne Stevens who is an MD PhD pediatrician she asked the question looking at the hearts of some babies that had this disease called uh, neonatal lupus so often the mother's healthy she doesn't have lupus but the baby has these problems including heart block. And so she looked in autopsy samples and she found female cells in male fetus heart. Then, but then she asked exactly the question you're kind of getting at there, you know, are these just blood cells that migrated there? What kind of cells are they? 
And to her surprise, after a lot of work, so it was technically difficult work, she discovered that the majority of them were actually cardiac heart muscle cells. So they, they were really integrated. They were part of the architecture of the heart. And so this really kind of represented a, the possibility of a paradigm shift because autoimmunity, usually people think, well, you're attacking your normal tissue, but it raises the possibility, are you actually naturally and healthy as a chimera and you lose tolerance to your minor population. And that actually causes this thing, which was called autoimmune. So it it is autoimmune, but it's autoimmune to to your immigrant cells. Yeah. It's different with the maternal cells that people acquire and the, the fetal origin cells, because the maternal cells, you're acquiring them when you haven't defined who you are yet. You're a fetus. So it's like the immigrants that come before the country is actually formed. Mm -hmm. But then the the fetal origin cells are occurring when you have a normal developed immune system. And so it's probably quite a different immunology. That's interesting because it's it's sort of a two-way street that is you know, opened up during pregnancy because we are so connected in a way, but they continue having an effect in the respective bodies long after it. And I, I remember reading about, it was a quote from an article on a research of yours, uh, where you in your research group analyzed the brains of dozens of women in 2012, I, th- I believe it was, and that you actually found in the majority of these women, Y-chromosome cells. And, and that's the ones you, you found. It's only the, you know, the foreign immigrant uh, male cells. We, we, it's hard to distinguish the female foreign cells or immigrants. And that begs the question, like, yeah, how distinct are we from the other when we take up these parts of each other during pregnancy or during our own, our own development in the belly? Well, I, I think you really brought up something that's important because, again, I mean, if there's a place that uh, we believe we differ in a major way from uh, studying mice you know, it's in the brain. And so what is the story in the brain? In the particular study that you referenced from 2012, that was done with DNA techniques. And I'd actually hoped that it would be extended to uh, actually seeing what kind of cells they were. But the PhD who was doing that wasn't able to do that before he returned to, to his country. So we don't really know what kind of cells they are. But it's interesting for women who've been pregnant because I've heard women say that at least one friend that immediately after her pregnancy, she was absolutely tuned to the specific cry of her child. It wasn't just every child, it was her child. And so you have to wonder, you know, if these cells integrate into your brain and shouldn't this be studied in terms of postpartum depression? I get a little uh, finding the need to to speak up for the immunology side of things because it it's, seems so critically important. And so understudied, I think, these kinds of things, because I really, even, you know, it's from my own, of course, anecdotal experience that something indeed changes and that we as women mammals are very much connected on a, I'd say, a physical level, even if the babies are born, that there's still this really strong connection. And in my research and my talks with, with scientists, I found that there are some, you know, hints in science other than it's all hormones or other than some, you know, spiritual or spirituality, which is also often quoted in in regards to motherhood and, you know, mother-child bonding. There's some real physical, biological processes going on that really form us as humans, I believe. And I find it also sometimes baffling that some of these terrain that is not yet studied 
that there's not people or not a lot of people looking to discover what is to be discovered there. And I don't know if you recognize that because you're, I mean, I'm only, you know, touching the surface with uh, immunology and microchimerism, but I believe there's so much more to be studied. And especially in this mother-child diets, there's so much alien stuff going on that we don't have any idea of and that has impact for decades in in people's lives. Yes, I agree with you. And and particularly, I'm particularly fascinated also by the other side, by the maternal cells in all of us. I mean, we mentioned earlier, um, I think there's the potential both for good and bad. Mm -hmm. I think when the field first broke open, I asked the question whether we had to do with these diseases we're calling autoimmune. And I think people assumed, well, let's see, this cell is half genetically foreign from my mother because I only inherited half my genes from her. So foreign must be bad. And I, I never did. <laughs> I, never, I never made that assumption because it was clear in the beginning that these cells are present in normal, healthy people. So the much more interesting question is, what is this telling us in terms of health, which is probably the predominant thing that happens. And what's it telling us about evolution? That's another kind of deep question. There is a researcher at Harvard, man named David Haig, who has written about the evolutionary side of having these cells and whether there can be kind of some uh, little bit of sibling rivalry <laughs> as, as one example. I don't think I ever thought in the beginning, the first disease I studied, I thought their role was actually problematical. And now I'm flipping back to the fetal origin cells. But I didn't assume that was the case across the autoimmune diseases. And I think there's plenty of evidence now showing where they're beneficial as, mm-hmm. as it appears that the, the fetal origin cells may be in cancer. And the reason that makes sense is because in the transplant setting, if the person that you're receiving your transplant from, if a person's getting transplanted for leukemia, if they're a little bit genetically foreign, it helps in terms of not having recurrent leukemia. And so why wouldn't that be a derivative from the natural situation where you get this this little gift of, you know, I I visualize like snowflakes coming, right? It just gives a little edge, a slightly different looking glass if a cell starts becoming abnormal to say, hey, no, that's a bad cell. And to help clear the potentially uh, malignant cells. Yeah, so it's actually a natural state of us to constantly have foreign cells inside of us or as a part of us. Uh, and it helps sort of fine tune the immune system, maybe, or trigger responses and help it like function as a whole. And I'm also would like to learn a little bit more about the maternal cells. And I'm going back to something you said a little bit before about how uh, cells of fetal origin are like, you know, they come into a country that's sort of built already. And the maternal cells, when they, you know, enter the, the fetus, uh, they come into a new territory. It, do we know anything about what happens when these maternal cells come into sort of a really flexible or still, you know, unformed body? I think we don't know very much. I'll give you a, a really nice example, though. MD-PhD, another pediatrician, Whitney Harrington, looked at women who are pregnant and have malaria. And what she found that was interesting was the maternal cells um, that were in the cord blood, if there were a lot of them, it correlated with uh, the child being more likely to be diagnosed with malaria. You would think, and in some situations, the mother you know, is able to protect a child against an incipient infectious disease. But in this case, it's known that the children are actually more likely to be diagnosed with malaria than 
children where the mother didn't have malaria during pregnancy, but nobody really understood it. But the key thing that was so interesting that she found was even though they were more likely to be diagnosed with malaria, they were significantly less likely to have severe disease. And so it's as if the mother's cells are able to transfer to the child and say, look, I can't protect you from the environment you're going to be born into with all these mosquitoes. You, you know, you may get bit, but let me instruct you how not to mount an, an inappropriate inflammatory response so that you die. So that there are things like that that are known. It's um, so interesting. This is sort of cellular communication and uh, caring for the baby on a sort of like a guidebook written in these cell-like languages. And I think that's, if this is how it works, this is very beautiful and, and sort of sophisticated and sort of evolutionary smart mechanism, I can imagine. I, I, I really agree with that. You shining the light on the evolutionary part too. I, I find that really fascinating when you think about transgenerational effects. And I mean, why wouldn't you want to get as much information over a longer period of time that you could? And so here's a way in which the maternal grandmother may even be transmitting information. Um, and I, I, I hear from Natalie Lambert, who worked with me and has her own lab now in Marseille, that she's actually sometimes even been able to detect grand maternal cells. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> she says she, I think she has a paper that's, that's in press right about now describing that. That's I mean, I love that as well, because again, in our cultures and all in our science, we're so focused on well, the here and now. And, and that you know, we, I mean, I trained as a biologist and we were always, and I'm, I'm talking about 15, uh, uh, 20 years ago when I studied my, for my master's, there was a whole different idea of evolution. And since then there's, you know, we've come a long way into understanding, you know, epigenetics, but even things that are passed on, on through multiple generations. And this is something where you have an effect on a genetic level or on an epigenetic level or on immunology level not just on your children directly but you know on the generation after that yeah and i think the other thing i would add is just you know it's really important to remember that we're all in this over time and and, and things change over time so my job is to, to look for where it's good and to look where it goes awry and to see how we can maybe capitalize on information to, to try to get it back to health. If we can capitalize on this knowledge, we're able to more understand how we can we can affect that balance. Oh, and by the way, I should say, the reason I say the slightly more awkward expression, cells of fetal origin, is exactly for that reason. Because one day my friend was in talking to me and her son was off on at college. And I thought, and I had, she was one of my uh, normal controls. And I thought, you know, these aren't fetal cells. They didn't stop aging because they're in her, they're fetal origin. And, and I think it's important not to be bewitched by the language that you, that you choose. I, I think that's also changes a bit the perspective on these cells are, you know, uh, these cells are of fetal origin, but they are, I mean, they reproduce, uh, they get, you know, they, they get uh, descendants and the cells, uh, you know, over, over decades are the descendants of, you know, those fetal cells. But they, I think that only stresses that they become a part of, me uh, instead of that I think of those cells you know inside of my of me as, as, as my children's cells now they are you know they came to me when when I was pregnant with them but now they are a part of me and they you know they duplicate and replicate <laughs> as, as my cells as, as my other cells I mean like you said they, they we see these cells form hearts 
tissue. So yeah, it's only natural to and, and accurate as well to talk about them like that. And I may not have fully answered your other question. I gave you the example of the heart, but there's plenty of other places. For example, liver cells, which are called hepatocytes, That's shown in both directions. You can have hepatocytes that fetal of origin, and you can have hepatocytes that are maternal of origin. It's been shown, I think, in the, the kidney, renal tubular cells. And um, in a mouse model, it's been shown that there can be neurons that are of fetal origin. Wow. So I, I think this is even the case in, in the brain. Yeah, yeah. like try to study that with the brain tissue of the women where you found a Y chromosome and couldn't maybe not exactly find the exact cells, but there are clues that they are also you know, descendants uh, of fetal origin in the brain or of maternal origin in the brain. And does, because this is quite a research, recent research topic. And I was wondering for you who studied uh, this for a long time and, and studied, you know, immunological diseases before that for a long time, does this knowledge and, and the more you know about it and how it works change the way you think of what we are as humans? Does it change anything about how you see yourself or how you see humans? I mean, really, if you think about it, I mean, we, we never were separate. When we began, we, we were already at least two. I think where it's come to is the example you just brought up of the cells that really are part of you from your child. They're no longer the same cells that were that child because they've been in this different environment. And just like once you've immigrated to a country and lived there for 15, 20 years, you aren't the same person either. So they're a part of you and they're really, they're also different from their origin. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. <laughs> it's really beautiful. It's, it's poetic even. I think that, I mean, you... I know you have a, a list of, of all these sort of pop culture references that you mentioned to me when we talked earlier and uh, that you said it's actually, it is not something maybe new that we discovered. It's something that we probably on some level already know or is already something that we understand. It, what I would like to do, I really hope I get a chance to do this. I, I've said that I want to give my talk about microchimeras and my scientific talk one day completely in popular music. I'm going to need some help from somebody to do that. But it starts with uh, a song uh, such as I'm in you, you're in me, Peter Frampton. But then we know that these cells, if they're going to persist over decades, they must be stem cells. And so they can actually become not just blood cells floating around, but part of your architecture. So then it's the Beatles. I am you and you are me. Right? Yes, yes. And then I knew when I started working in the brain, I thought, okay, this has got to be the case. We, we have to look, even though they tell me it's a barrier, I bet it's not a barrier because there's so many can't get you out of my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I have, I have a list of them. I have, uh, I think I have, I have over 30 at this point. And then, and then one of the ones, it's a little more, not really obscure, but I managed to get a little clip from it uh, when I was giving a recent talk which is the refrain from the Rolling Stones song, baby, 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 you're out of time. And so I used that at the very end of my talk because I was out of time, right? Mm -hmm. But I meant it also to reference the fact that we, we need to remember this existence is, is in both space and time and it changes. And again, another window into health versus disease with these cells is could you have something that's shifted out of time? Like you acquire the, the fetal origin cells or you acquire the maternal cells at the wrong time. And so therefore this sets up an immune 
a situation that, that's out of balance. Yeah. And the other thing I, I, I just kind of want to add, it's also important to, to remember to look for what isn't there. I mean, we, we tend to focus on, it must be something out there, big and bad that came in and messed me up, right? But it, it can equally be something that's not there, that needs to be there something that really affects the immune balance. So I also hope one day to give a talk, the title of which is Autoimmunity, Searching for What Isn't There. Yeah, that's beautiful too. I love, I can really hear in the way you talk about the subject, those, maybe also your philosophy background and also the way to sort of frame these things. It's almost poetic. And I think I, and, and I'm not a professional researcher, so I don't know a lot about these topics like you do, but I do what I've read about our healthcare and, and the knowledge that we have about our bodies is often that it's not, you know, even with the microbiome, it's not pathogens or bad microbes per se that cause the disease because these microbes do good in one part of the body and bad in another part, or do they do good when they find a population that's what we would call healthy or imbalanced and they do bad things when the, when the balance is off or when there's a different population. And, I think this is exactly what, you know, makes it so complex that, you know, sometimes the more we know about how our bodies work, the more difficult it is to sort of have a solution. And um, even with antibiotics, which, you know, are wonderful and have saved many lives, we also realize that they sort of flush out your whole healthy microbiome together with the pathogens. And I'm really interested to see what, you know, more knowledge of the of microchimerism and the the microbiome brings us and you know not just in our understanding and also in our you know how we view healthy bodies and how to get there <laughs> or how to stimulate that um, but also the more maybe philosoph philosophical big questions of life what it means that you can have a lasting influence on you know generations to come and you experience the influence of the generations before you, not just your, you know, your parents or, you know, the people you met in your lifetime, but people that may not even have lived when you were born. You know, the intergenerational effect of the grandmother on her grandchild. Yes. Another aspect that's kind of fun is there are studies in mice and then woman scientist Carol Ober is a PhD, uh, University of Chicago studied this in humans as well, that there's evidence that there's mate choice related to what you don't inherit from your mother. <laughs> so in some sense, it's a sense of maximizing genetic diversity across generations. And they, they, they show that this actually occurred in the mice through sense of smell. What Carol Over was able to show is that women could actually sniff by the odor of these t-shirts they would relate to the, to the different odors, not wanting the one that's what they didn't inherit from their mother, which would make them more, you know, make the whole situation more genetically similar. And the reason that genetic diversity, of course, is actually important, that's actually the norm, is you, you have more ways in which you encounter something that's actually a pathogenic infection of dealing with it, etc. So in general, the principle is genetic diversity is good, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll have to do a whole other podcast because <laughs> probably that's all new topic. The liver uniquely ignores uh, genetic matching in transplantation. And we're now testing out a theory for why we think that is. It's actually better to have a liver that is completely different from your own, you know, genetic makeup that has right. a bigger chance of being accepted than one that's like your own liver. 
There's, or at least it ignores it. Whereas yep. every other form of transplantation, they they try to do as much matching as they can. Well, I, I think we've touched on so many interesting things, you know, from the intergenerational sort of communication, from the communication between the cells of fetal origin and the cells of maternal origin, you know, lodging in our brains and our, you know, in our blood stems and our hearts and everywhere. And I really want to thank you for sharing your insights, helping us understand a little bit more about this fascinating subject that I'm sure will, you know, have, you know, will grow in the coming years and we'll learn much more interesting things from that. But yeah, I think our time is up for today. So I would really like to thank you very much. Yes, and, and, and I, I think the, the popular music song I'd like to leave us with is the I get by with a little help from my friends. Lovely. Yeah, I love that. That's so true. That is so true. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> For more information, links and show notes, visit futurebased.org.